Hey gang, welcome to Big Brother and the Hodling Company. It's a podcast about music and Web3 and trying to fend off Big Brother. I'm a Keegan Voice. Today I spoke with the music artist Excellencia. The Puerto Rican-born, Florida-based artist has been one of the best at marrying Web2 and Web3 opportunities. Or rather, ignoring the strange tendency that many have to keep them separate. His new album, El Niño Estrella, for instance, uses dynamic, non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, to creatively transform their appearance via external triggers, like when a track gets to 100,000 Spotify streams. We chatted about the album, about crate digging, about mind maps, and about the supreme importance of imagination. Hope you all enjoyed the conversation. Here we go. Hey, X, it's great to have you here. Thank you for having me, man. Nice to meet. Nice to finally connect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, to start these things, I always like to start at the beginning um, and learn a bit about your story, where you grew up, and, you know, when your relationship with music started. I was born in Puerto Rico. Um, I'm half Cuban, half Puerto Rican, Cuban from father's side and, you know, Puerto Rican from the mother's side. Um, a lot of history there just because, like, uh, my dad went through the Cuban Revolution. So mm-hmm. at the time, when he was uh, 16, basically, it was like almost mandatory to go into the army and get sent overseas. So that was like, before that, a ton of stuff happened, but that was like the drawing line, right? That was like, this is it. We got to find a way to get out of here. And, you know, there was like a lottery system uh, in Cuba to be able to like leave the country. Mm. And so like a lot of Cubans migrated to um, Miami, but there's a few that actually, you know, went to Puerto Rico, you know, still Caribbean, still an island, all that stuff, but it was right. still part of the U.S., so it was a good like alternative uh but yeah from there man i I realized like kind of growing up i was really into like music i was really into like the arts and stuff like that but i didn't really kind of tap into it it was just really natural intuition um now i remember like my relationship with music kind of started at that around that time but i remember um i have a huge vinyl collection that Mm. was basically i inherited and I remember seeing the vinyl records and the covers and thinking, like, what is this? Like, what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is this so big? Like, what does this do? <laughs> you know, and yeah. like, I just found it so fascinating. And from there, you know, I got into like reading like liner notes and like lyrics on booklets and trying to figure out like, why is this repeated? And it was like the chorus, right? Like, I didn't understand mm. all that mm. stuff. <laughs> so, you know, that's that was kind of my my intro to music in a way. And then I began songwriting um, and then, you know, just like notebooks and stuff like that in class you know like not paying attention just (laughs) writing lyrics and songs and stuff and then transitioned into like producing um and then that was like high school you know and then we had a we had a crew in high school and then we all did latin music and you know all of us went on to kind of do great things now (laughs) and in the industry but yeah cool amazing thank you i'm I'm curious to go back and, and learn a little bit more about this you know like all the vinyl that that you inherited first like yeah how did you come to inherit all of this vinyl and and what are like three three of the albums that that you remember most prominently yeah so i'm looking at a few here and then behind me oh nice i know it's audio but there's a few in there oh cool um, yeah, yeah. So it's man it's an insane mix of like so you have soul you have jazz you have classical music there's a lot of cuban salsa there's a lot of mm. puerto rican salsa there's ballads and boleros from like different parts of the world brazilian music i mean it was just like an insane mix of music i remember there being a thriller vinyl and i can't i can't find it (laughs) i couldn't (laughs) find it when i got the the packages sent but yeah it was uh sent over by my grandfather 
and he was like, here, you know, you know, you're building out your studio, you know, take the collection. And, you know, I, I grabbed that. I'm not a DJ or anything, but like, I just like collecting. I like sampling. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some insane covers, man. Like I'm looking at one. It's a Santana uh, one and it's like super psychedelic. It's super dope. I have that up there. Um, I have a Nat King Cole one. Uh, man, just a, a really great mix of, of music and, and history there. Cool. That I don't ever plan on giving away. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really important stuff. Um, yeah, and I feel like uh, you know all the context that you were describing, like reading the liner notes, appreciating the artwork, is something that's really been abstracted away from the music experience by by streaming um, and just like this this great flattening of music. I see Web three and on chain music as like a another opportunity to. You know, contextualize music again. I would love to hear, um, you know, how, what first opened your eyes, you know, to Web three. These, you know, these tools. Like, what was first really exciting to you, and and when did you realize that you could apply it to, you know, the music you were making? Yeah. So going back to what you just said about, um, I have this theory where like a lot of the things that were lost in the uh, streaming era um, are kind of making a comeback. Um, so like. Chasing the algorithm, short songs. Um, we got rid of interludes. We got rid of skit, uh, skits, um, mm-hmm. context, like you said, descriptions and things. And that sort of is co- making a comeback. And also maybe more uh, world building, storytelling, conceptual mm-hmm. albums. But like from the independent side, right? Like we see it from the the big the big guys, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I just wanted to bring that up. And so for me. My intro was I was building out a label in a publishing company for Latin music, like around. 2016 or so Mm -hmm. and i remember kind of searching online and looking for like new models and new ideas new things that i could apply that will help me stand out right like what what edge you know what am i really doing here right am i just another Mm -hmm. label am i just another publishing company you know i had the edge that i was like tapping into latin but i was like let me see what else is out there and i remember coming across blockchain at the time which like i knew about bitcoin but i didn't really know about blockchain and so Mm -hmm. When I learned about the blockchain and I saw kind of like the, I guess the the idea behind using it for music, it was more about like supply chain management for music mm-hmm. and how it could have like disrupted that. And so like that was super interesting because at, at the time I was really naive. I was like, oh, this would be cool. You know, you build a record label on the blockchain and like, you know, everything's transparent and the artists right. will trust you and like you can attract the best talent in the world that way. Or like, you know, I was just thinking about different and new ways. It wasn't really about tokenizing music. Um, but yeah, after that, I kind of saw, you know, I went through 2017, that cycle, that hype, all of that stuff. And then that's when I really started learning. It's like, it's like phases, right? That's when I started learning more about smart contracts. And then I started learning about decentralization as like a, you know, a philosophy or whatever. And, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of going through all of that and then the financial side, right? At the same time, like everything's going parabolic. (laughs) So yeah. And then I saw 2018 artists like experimenting with like crowdfunding on chain and um you know badges and stuff like that on Ujo music and like tips mm-hmm. and, like microtransactions all these different things man just kind of compounded into me like really diving into the entirety of the space like every area every sector like i'm deep down the rabbit hole type <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah then i started experimenting you know post uh covid basically like right after well as as covid was happening so yeah mm. Yeah, I feel like, you know, COVID was actually, you know, as bad as it was for a lot of things, it was, you know, helpful for 
you know, this space because a lot of people had time in their hands to just be on their computers and yeah, <laughs> making, exactly. making things and experimenting with them. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'm curious to hear a little bit more about like how, you know, as, as you're going, you know, down the rabbit hole and experiencing like, you know, these different phases, um, both as they apply to music and like the philosophy of decentralization and things like that, how, you know, how you transitioned personally from thinking like about your music label and wanting to stand out and like where you, you know, just like what happened over the next few years that took you into 2020, 21 with the pandemic to like really starting to experiment with it. Yeah, I think for me, it it always starts like the most basic layer is being independent, not having to ask for permission, not having mm. to wait. All those things kind of drove me into like, let me let me just do what I can do and work with what I have. And as long as I retain ownership, as long as I'm like non-exclusively tied to companies and, and, and management and stuff like that, I can keep experimenting. And like, right. for me, it was like, I noticed the industry was saying, hey, drop a song every 30 to 60 days. And I was sort of like, I don't know if I want to do that. Like that, if that's what you guys are doing, how am I going to stand out? Yeah. So like, I actually started dropping songs weekly. So I built a playlist on Spotify, and that was basically the album title. And I started putting out a song every week for like two, three months or so. Um, so it had an ending, right? It had a beginning and an end, and like right. that kind of changed my mindset. Um, it, it started getting me traction. It started getting me the streams, all that stuff, discovery. So that was another turning point was seeing like just innovating on like how to distribute music and how to tell my story. And like every song I attached a piece of context to it, like I would do a video of like explaining why I did the song. Then another one was a little more fun, you know, just kind of tying context to it and just saying mm -hmm. like, hey, like, yes, I'm doing this weekly, but it's it's it was my decision. You know, I wasn't like the industry was forcing me, mm -hmm. um, which now everyone's like. You know, dropping weekly is what they want you to do. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's funny because like I was doing that in 2017 yeah. and I was like, well, I think that was a good time to do it. Now it's it's hit or miss, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I worked in live entertainment like 10 years. So I worked in a lot of venues and I worked mm. in an arena. So I, I was juggling my career while I was working those jobs. So like when COVID hit, I was like out of work. Mm, like right. I was one of the first, you know? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And yeah, just 2020, seeing the summer, I started, you know, I locked in, made a lot of music, but then I started, you know, kind of like, okay, maybe now is a really good opportunity for me to do the things that I wanted to do 2018, which is like crowdfund or like, you know, do things like that, but using on-chain and blockchain technology to do it. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, you know, Blau, that same year, I think end of year 2020, he did his crowdfund. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is picking up steam now. Like maybe I should pursue what I wanted to do. And um, it actually took me a whole year to actually <laughs> go ahead and, and do my actual crowdfund. But prior to that, I started seeing platforms pop up like catalog and, you know, things like that. And I started minting my music and, you know, I went from there, you know, um, I also launched my social token, which, you know, we had a sunset that because the platform shut down. So that was an example of, you know, kind of semi-centralized, semi, you right. know, <laughs> you know, right. so that was a learning experience. Um, so, yeah, I was just so super open to, as an independent artist, exploring different models and things to not rely on the traditional music industry. Yeah. Yeah, it's been so cool watching people experiment, you know, in the space where, where um, just like the immense kind of composability of it and the, and the fact that uh you can create while you know transcending these what would typically be you know kind of a walled garden 
and yep. like use all these different platforms in different ways that nobody else is doing and it's um it's really exciting i, I mean that's it's, it's really cool to watch i'm curious uh you know you mentioned catalog when you're talking about you know, these different projects that have been popping up you you recently set a bid price of 32 eth um you know in a teaser <laughs> in catalog um and I, I i think like for if someone buys it they get like an executive producer role slash title um yeah and, exactly. and um and i would love to talk a little bit about like what the thought process and strategy was behind doing for that sure. for those you know who are listening who don't know 32 ETH is a lot of money it's probably yes. i don't know 40 grand something like that 50 grand more right now yeah it's like 50 to 60 grand at the moment so yeah i would love to hear more about you know your thought process behind that decision yeah so it was a few things so i had the idea in mind for some time um because I started working on the, the album early on and I had a ton of ideas as to like, you know, what could I do to raise funds on chain in a non-traditional way, not an advanced type of deal, um, you know, and like another thing that influenced this that I actually got interest, you know, I actually had an offer on like kind of an offer on the table and I was like, it just didn't feel right. So mm -hmm. that kind of motivated me to go through with the idea and follow through with it. And, and that was another reason why I kind of did it. And so the idea is like, you know, using a one of one to certify the idea that if someone like bids on that or purchases it, they get the role of executive producer. Right. And like I described it in the mirror article as like I, I kind of compared it to financing an independent film mm -hmm. um, and, and grabbing financing for an independent album. It, it kind of feels the same, you know. I know that indie films, though, it's much, much harder, requires a lot more money, a lot more people behind it versus right. music nowadays where like where you can semi, you know, streamline a lot of it. And that was the idea. It was like to raise funds in a non-traditional way to finance the album, bring this person in as an executive producer. Um, and, and that because I already have the music and the plan and the vision, it felt like something that I can share if someone like was interested and they can see like, damn, he's not playing. Like he actually has a plan, a vision, you know, he has right. it mapped out in a way that like this could potentially, you know, make sense and, and work out um, for the bidder and myself. Right. Um, so yeah, it was like, it's a long shot in the dark, a hundred percent. But I thought about just, let me try something new on chain using a one of one. Um, and, and like, because I, I had this membership pass that I also launched, that was like the follow-up to that, you know, which involves my collectors and my active community a lot more. So right. like a lot of people probably saw the 32 ETH bid as me kind of like canceling out a certain like group of people, hmm. but it's a different approach to trying to raise funds versus the membership pass using, you know, an open edition model for it. Totally. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I like that comparison to, you know, to an independent film. Um, it's like, you know, it's it's less of of a crowd fund of going after you know trying to get a little bit of money from a lot of people and acknowledging like right. this this type of role you know like a producer role is very important uh, you know yeah. basically in all in all creative projects. Um, uh, yeah, that's a cool experiment. I, I I checked and no one has has yet purchased it, right? No, no, no one has purchased it. And it's funny you're asking because I actually threw my original mirror article. I threw it into GPT and I asked it like to break it down and what does it think about it? Huh. And, um, or like the same question you asked me, it's what I asked GPT. And then I grabbed right. that and I posted it on mirror as well. <laughs> so that's live as well. So it's kind of like, 
challenging my thinking around the model and seeing if I was too crazy or not, too delusional. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a fun experiment too. And it, it actually broke it down like pretty damn well. It was pretty interesting. Huh. Man, I should do that with most things in my life probably. Yeah, just, no, I think it's great. <laughs> just, just in case, you know? <laughs> Keep myself honest. <laughs> see if see if our ai gods have something to say about what i'm doing <laughs> yeah yeah exactly love to talk a little bit more about um you know speaking of worlds and and all of uh all of that like it's what you're building with with el nino estrella is is um is really cool um in terms of like using using dynamic nfts um that you know evolve you know throughout the journey and and we, you know one of the things I loved in uh, the mirror article that that you wrote about it was it also you know kind of touches on what we were talking about earlier. But like you wrote, as a kid, it felt that I I had the biggest imagination, and we tend yeah. to lose that sense of wonder as as we grow older, um, which kind of you know riffs back on how we started this conversation about uh, you know we need context and we need you know, other components to round out the worlds that we want to build as yeah. artists. Um, so anyways, I wanted to make sure I created space for you to chat about like the various mechanics that, that you're utilizing with, with this album and talk about that a bit, but also love to dive into, you know, I guess the concept of imagination a bit more. Yeah, as no, well. <laughs> love that, love that. Um, man, it was like, it was a long time coming. Like, um, I dropped an EP in 2020, 2021. Mm -hmm. It was called, um, El Niño Que Grito Lobo, which is the boy who cried wolf. And the illustrator, the artist behind that, he made this amazing piece. You know, I have a canvas of it. It was a good project for me. It did really well. Um, and like, I don't know why a couple of years passed, you know, and last year when I started thinking about what, what should I do next? Like, should I do an album? Should I do, you know, EP? Like, you know, just kind of struggling with that or like single by single. And, you know, I, it's a derivative of that, right? It's like a Nino Estrella. So it kind of like a serious of, or, of sorts. It's like starting anew, but it's kind of a, a serious. And like, yeah, I, I thought about like bringing that to life again, but maybe starting it on chain and using the on chain tools and things to bring it to life. Um, mm -hmm. I, I fell in love with this concept of instead of following your dreams, follow your imagination. Mm. And so like that started kind of like, it all came coming together, connecting the dots. Um, another thing, the music that I started making, I usually, my process is very like spontaneous and I'll go in and I'll just throw a bunch of ideas down. And like, I, I have pretty good like, uh, production selection and like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I kind of took a step back and I said, what, what am I really into? Like, what do I really like? What are my real influences? Because mm -hmm. a lot of times people will tell you, like, you should try to innovate or you should try to do this and step away from your comfort zone. But I was like, this time I kind of want to keep the essence and, mm -hmm. and, and find those three, um, you know, styles of music, let's say, that, that I absolutely resonate with and I'm influenced mm -hmm. by. And, and I started making the music. So that started feeling like I was using my imagination and like, I was trusting my my sort of my vision as an artist and the music that I was making just felt really natural and felt very me. Mm -hmm. and, and that also kind of inspired the album. So it's like connecting a lot of dots, putting it all together to bring this um, project to life. You know, that's really what like inspired it all. Yeah, totally. That's really cool. What were some of the things that that you uncovered? I think you mentioned there were three things. Uh, like what were some of the things that you you uncovered when you 
tried to dive into your imagination and be like, okay, what is at the root of me? What is most important? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because it was like I started actually like taking notes down as I was like recording and and I think even prior to that, which I never really do. Mm. So I kind of dived in and I was like, I even made a checklist. I was like, after I'm done making all of this music, I'm gonna go through this checklist and see if like the music like I had like relatability. I had mm. um like man, it was a couple things like, will people dance to it? Will people fall mm. in love to it? Will people like? Mm. It's just storytelling. Am I telling my story? Am I am I doing this? Like, I don't know why I wanted to challenge myself into that. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, the music checks off all the lists for me. And and for a while now, man, like I, I feel like one thing about Latin music is that it's very versatile, very like we fuse a lot of styles, right? And like that's just a natural thing. So a lot of my music um feels like that. You know, I'm kind of like in a way all over the place but not really (laughs) but it's just been a thing of latin music for a long time and like those were things i started checking off and like as the three things it was more of the uh the actual like style of music so i was Mm. like i'm heavily influenced by hip-hop so why am i not doing more hip-hop but in my style right so i did that reggaeton is kind of keeping the essence but maybe innovating a bit on the sound and kind of switching it up and I think the other style was more um, like global music, world music that can connect and, and with people, you know, anywhere they are in, in, in the world. And so, like, I made music based on those three concepts. And then I had that sort of checklist of like, uh, you know, ideas and concepts and feelings. And, and I was like, this is this is feeling special now. <laughs> mm. I love that. It feels like a great exercise where you can kind of, give, you know, give some structure of of like your own being and your own imagination to something and then you can let your your skills and your expertise as a music maker just kind of filter through you know this like sort of map that that you've created yeah exactly mind map <laughs> i saw that i saw that that that, that in the faq on the project it yeah, says yeah. roadmap question mark and you wrote i prefer mind map yeah yeah for sure tell me why <laughs> yeah it was just like I've been just, again, back to the imagination thing. Like I'm following my imagination more so than a roadmap. (laughs) And like, yeah, I am a, I'm actually really organized person. I love planning things. I like, Mm -hmm. I enjoy that. But I was like, in this case, let me just like, I think it was learning experiences. It was um, like over time, like why pack so much utility rewards and experiences from the get where it's something where the reality is that over time, I may wake up and say like, damn, I want to like do a random live stream, like, or I, I want to do a giveaway today. You know, I don't want to kind of like limit myself, you know, life is dynamic. <laughs> like again, that goes back to the past, right? Like yeah. all of that stuff kind of ties in together. Totally. Life is dynamic. Yeah. And I think, I think you alluded to something that I think is, has been like really, is really important. It's been sort of one of my observations in in the web3 music space is there's so much attention given to the utility and the mechanics of something that so often we're not talking so much about the music itself um it's sort of like i'm curious if 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 you have this take as well that like web3 music almost is categorized as as its own genre even though it's it contains like every type of music, which has been you know really strange for me. I was I was a music journalist, you know, covering scenes and different types of music before I ever got into the blockchain. Um, and I'm just curious to hear your perspective on like what 
you know, how that feels to you. Yeah, I think, I think that's super interesting because I remember very early on, everyone was saying, there's no culture here. There's no community. There's, it, this is not a scene. This is a technology. And it just kind of threw me off because I'm like, it feels like the opposite. It feels like there are scenes and there are communities and there are groups of people, like-minded individuals where like, mm. I felt very early on, like, even though we're all different and unique in our own right, we have a lot of relatable stories. Like, that's why kind of we're all here, right? Like, we, mm. we saw something. Um, so right. I never really agreed to that. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see a few years out if this influences our music in a way. Um, I, I'm not too sure. Um, I think the more on chain you are possibly because you're experimenting maybe more so with like generative music stuff and like that can definitely change things or like ai stuff um different convo but yeah maybe that would kind of categorize it in its own genre um but that's a super interesting thought <laughs> yeah it's just it's so strange to me that you know all of the attention to music in in like you know the legacy space is about or like you know, let's just say pre-web3 space is about the music itself yeah. um aside from you know like the tech journals and and stuff that exists out there whereas almost all of the media attention given to music in web3 is to the mechanics and utility of it and sales <laughs> and sales yeah indeed yeah. another interesting one <laughs> yeah 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 let's dive into that a little bit actually <laughs> do you I, I i had this thought uh a few times i guess but last week and i was like uh, like fans or like supporters, like like they don't care about the deal terms of their favorite artists, right? right they don't care right. that that artist took an advance, how many albums is per term, and like their sales figures, unless they pop up on Forbes or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think pushing this narrative and this idea that sales will will get us mass adoption or something, like I've not seen it. Um, mm -hmm. mostly because like if we're talking mass adoption then we're assuming it's like fans that have no exposure to the space and like they don't really care about sales you know <laughs> yeah. they're you're gonna like make, that's an industry figure um a, a figure that the headlines like and the maybe the the labels and, and the managers and stuff like but fans themselves like i don't think so will, will it attract artists i think so yeah. um and, and then maybe they bring in their audience or something but right uh, i'm not sure if that's like the the strategy you know what i mean like yeah I don't know. It's it's interesting because when an artist signs in the real world, they don't announce the figure most of the yeah. time. They'll yeah. just show the picture in the office. Like I just signed yeah. the deal, <laughs> yeah. and people are excited and stuff. But that's about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And yeah, that's a great comparison. Um, it it does feel a bit uh, a bit over financialized in in uh, and maybe like like I totally understand why because music is, is so under financialized now when it comes to like how artists make money and like you know m more people should know about why artists do not make money um but but it does like i i feel like that narrative will only get you so far it's interesting because it feels like it's tapped into this sort of other group of people who 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 are collectors and like maybe a bit coming more from like the DeFi world than like the music world yeah but but with this narrative it feels it feels like it's going to be tough to tap into like like the spotify world you know the people right. who 
who want to listen to music, but like do so in a convenient way without like it's about the music. Yeah. I was reading a, an article about online music, like the early days. And mm. at the end, at the, at the, it was like the MP3 online music and like the, the entire timeline. And at the very end, it said, at the end, convenience won, right? And I think that like history kind of rhymes, right? And so we'll probably see something like that where convenience will be the it factor, right? If we're right. talking, you know, mass, right? A lot of people are happy with the scenes, the communities, like the, the niche, you know, stuff. And I think that's great as well. Um, I, I don't think that's ever disappeared from music, right? We People call it underground or like, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever. And so like, I, I don't see anything wrong with people that don't want or are not interested in like mass adoption or like going mainstream and stuff like that. Um, I think that's actually healthy and sustainable. Um, and that's coming from someone that's like, into like the financial side of things. And then I'm intro, you know, I have friends in the mainstream, so I'm learning from that world. And like, mm -hmm. I just kind of like learning from the top and, and from like the bottom, and you know, everywhere to, to kind of help my thinking and process and stuff. Um, but yeah, definitely interested in seeing where, where we go um, over the next few years. Yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like the, the return to context is, it's, is really, you know, really powerful. And I, I think like a bit more adoption from the artist side and like more, experimentation in that side could go a long way coming back to like the same reason like you collect vinyl i collect vinyl we, we still right. like the idea of crate digging there's like whether it's like like the tactile sensation of holding a physical object or like having the context there you know the line like the notes the lyrics the artwork um and it'll be interesting like i wonder if like to me, it feels like like so many people are trying to lean into like we have to scale Web three so it it replaces Web two, right? But but like it it, it can't it also exist as like this underground thing as you're saying this like niche yeah. offering that can act as as like a supplement to Web two or like you can bring in you can bring in the people who want to engage a bit more and the people who don't just like stay on Spotify right. because yeah. you, you know as you're saying like. I think convenience unfortunately will ultimately win yeah you don't want to reject you know your supporters right like <laughs> like you yeah. don't want to say like yeah yeah i don't know it's it's, it's interesting um it, it's it's you know it goes back to like you know this is probably already kind of overused but this idea of like web 2 for audience discovery reach web 3 is more you know for like your super fan base your super fan community mm -hmm. you know and experimenting with new models and things that could be done at the like the at the a more intimate level right. on, on all sides of it. And then you can still go out there and, and, and bring your music to the world. Like, I don't think that music going digital, it didn't replace artists going out there and doing shows, you know, or like stuff like that. So that, that's kind of what I would compare it to. I, I think it can run in parallel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for a while we were using streams as an anchor, um, but it was really, you know, not that I agree with the economics of it all, but I think it was more like the major label structure and deals and things that were like affecting artists more than anything. Right. Um, and sort of like people were talking numbers and like these other things, but there's other things like, um, you know, song lock-ins and commitments and like, you know, they only drop stuff that's satisfactory according to them. And like right. these weird things no one in Web3 music talks about. Right. So they'll just use the streaming thing to anchor it. And it's kind of like, I think music is too horizontal for people to limit themselves. You know, mm -hmm. our, and we're seeing, we're seeing artists kind of come back to like, hey, I'm on Spotify now. Hey, the project is finally going to come out on DSPs. And like, 
Yeah, it, it takes me back to some research I read about the hierarchy of needs for artists and creators. Mm-hmm. And it said how, like, it's less interesting now to identify with, like, wanting to sign to a label and not, like, the, they're not chasing money. They're actually chasing, like, discovery, like right. most artists. Yeah. So they're going to go to where exposure. the exposure is. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So that was a really interesting piece and the way they broke it down. And it helped my thinking of like, that's kind of what's happening, right? Like if, if artists don't see traction or sales or anything, you know, they're going to go to where they can potentially get discovery, reach, and then tr- hopefully translate that into opportunities that brings them, you know, the, the, the money to live off of and, and build their projects. Totally. For an artist that's just just starting out let's say they don't have an audience in web 2 or web 3 and they're young and they want to start putting their music somewhere they have music um and they just are ready to move it from here to you know to there yeah what would you know what are like three pieces of advice that that you would give that person i think out the gate really organize like your structure and and have that like get 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 the boring stuff out of the way first (laughs) so then you can focus on creation and you're not sort of stressed like you can streamline your creation i think that would be like number one i think number two is not limiting yourself uh to experimenting exploring different you know platforms uh models and things like that because like i've always been platform agnostic and like Mm -hmm. you know as an independent that's i realized that that was the way to move so like, for example, I'm like, I, I work with a few distributors, but I'm not exclusively tied to any of them. Right. So like, I think that helps me a lot because now I can like, I can, if I want to distro with this one that focuses on Latin, I can do that. If I have a collaboration with an electronic producer, then we can go with this route. You know what I mean? Like, so open yourself up to that. And yeah, I mean, I, I think third is just like kind of. Be patient. Like, <laughs> like I always say that it's easier said than done, but yeah, definitely. I, I had a Twitter space and I said something along the lines of like, my best moments come after my longest or best breaks. Right. Mm. And so like, mm-hmm. I think that that's a good piece of advice. It's like not to let external influences, you know, or things kind of shape your, 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 your vision or your path. And, and it's hard, you know, it's, it's definitely hard, but I remember disconnecting for a long time and it was the best thing I did, you know, it's mm. like kind of cliche, but it works. And yeah, definitely take those breaks, those rests. I mean, the best do it, right? You look at the, the greatest athletes, they're not playing every single day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're not like practicing every day. They have those rests and those breaks to, to, to improve. That's part of the improvement in the journey. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you know, arguably nothing is, is as important just, you know, aside from like the work it, you know, like the actual creation itself, then like taking moments to rest, reflect, to allow your body to heal, yeah. your mind you gotta live. to heal, <laughs> to live. Yeah. You gotta live. It's so important to leave, you know, the productive mind from time to time and just like let things sit. So I think you're right. Like that's when like the true magic starts to bubble up. Right, right. 100%. What, what, um, what was that magic for you? Like what, you know, what bubbled up when you took a break? Man, just like um, it's 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 even crazy. I'm saying this, but because like I have issues like sleeping, right? For example, because mm. uh, my mind is always on twenty four seven. I'm always like, you know, I have that kind of energy, um, and so like, but I do know like the importance in like taking breaks and rests, and like 
it's funny because it's like when I do that, my best ideas kind of come, right? Like mm -hmm. the creativity actually jump starts. Um, and like it's like epiphanies, right? But you can't have that if you're always productive and you're always yeah. doing shit. Like you'll get work done mm -hmm. and all that, but like you gotta zoom out. <laughs> you gotta <laughs> step back and, and, and like those moments give you the epiphany to yeah, like one of the epiphanies I had was like working with what I have, you know, mm. and that changed a lot for me. It was like, if I, I need to work with what I have and not wait for X, Y, Z, um, that will get me to there, to X, Y, Z. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a struggle, right? But yeah, I've had a few big moments and epiphanies that kind of shaped who I am today, you know, and, and for my music stuff, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it all goes back to like, you know, back to imagination. You got to leave. Yeah. If you don't leave space for imagination, there's not going to be any imagination. Exactly. exactly. You know, imagine, you know, to imagine is like its own pursuits and its own, its own time. Like it, it requires its own time to actually, actually Absolutely. manifest. And it's so much fun. We should all, we should all spend more time imagining, you know, there's our a lot better of worlds. Yeah, I was with my, um, like I have a two-year-old, she turns three and like, you know, a lot of people are like, she looks just like you, she looks just like you. And like, she'll do certain things where like people remind them of me when I was younger and I, mm. I can see a lot of it. And she's so imaginative and she's so like figuring things out on her own. And like that, I think that kind of shaped um, the mm. project, how I'm thinking about life too, you know? Um, I kind of left that out, but I think that's a, a really big part about it. Um, and yeah, like, it's just like, it's it's interesting because people say like follow your dreams but it's like there's no objective there sometimes right. <laughs> right. you know versus like your imagination right. like it's what kind of drives you to get stuff like out of your system right um and i kind of like that that phrasing personally yeah i like that too i might switch over <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, a that's a good one to push out there honestly <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah it's it's like letting it's letting your imagination fuel what your dreams become, kind of. Right, it's right, like, exactly. It's I like, like as, as stuff and thoughts, like just creating space for all of the, the things that you don't like pay attention to and for those to emerge. And as you cultivate them and follow them along, then you kind of understand, oh, that's, that's where I want to go. Exactly, exactly, definitely. Cool. I'm with it. That's the one we're going to have to push out there. So, <laughs> yeah. One totally. trademark. Let's make it free and open. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Open source. <laughs> open source. <laughs> Fully decentralized. <laughs> I'm with it. Cool. Well, that seems like a, a good like piece of hope to you know to kind of end on. Uh, I I just have one more question for you, which I ask everybody at the end of these. Cool. You're going to a desert island. You get to bring three records with you. What are they? Man, um, one of my favorite bands, uh, Puerto Rican reggae band, Cultura Profetica. Um, their, their Mota album, M-O-T-A, huge influence on me. Cool. Um, love that project. Uh, another one, let's see. This, is, this one's tough. I know, it's um, a hard question. Yeah, I, mean, I, got a, I got a whole collection. And then like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an impossible it's, question. I make music and it's crazy. Man, yeah, it's a hard one. I'll take a hard drive if anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no hard drives. No hard, no hard drives. Drive. They immediately <laughs> melt if they make it to the island. <laughs> um, 
man, like I'm 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 thinking of a Kendrick one, but it's so hard yeah. to choose. Yeah, even even taking just three of Kendrick's albums is hard enough. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, damn, man, I love damn. I think I would take damn with me. Hmm. Kendrick Lamar, damn. Yeah, I, I'm think I'm trying to think of like a like a reggaeton one, but like there's <laughs> there's so many out there. Plus, I also follow a lot of like producers and songwriters that I like admire, look up to. Right. Man, two down, one to go. This is the hardest one. Third one. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of like some stuff on Spotify. I'm about to open my Spotify. Or something. <laughs> you <laughs> um, can. You can. Man, you know what? Actually. Dark Side of the Moon <laughs> nice. was a big influence on me when I was in uh, engineering school. And I would use it as reference for like all of my mixing and like, you know, transitions and like, you know, just mm. the world behind that. There's something about that album that sounds super epic. <laughs> yeah, it is super epic, that album. That's a, that's a good trio. I mean, I don't know, actually, I don't, I don't know Cultura Profetica, but I, I will check check them out part of the reason i asked that question is so i have nice, awesome nice. new music to listen yeah. to <laughs> incredible yeah they, they're they're incredible band cool man and then where's the best place for people listening you know you know to follow you or or to get you know involved with what you're doing yeah so definitely twitter it all starts there at excellencia <clears throat> um you want to follow me on instagram as well and then yeah i think twitter's the best place to be honest Cause that's where I dive in a lot more into like mm. everything I'm I'm into. <laughs> Instagram cool. is a lot lighter on on that. <laughs> right. Cool. So yeah, I guess depending on whether you wanna you wanna stay light or really dive in. Twitter, <laughs> exactly. Twitter, Instagram. If you want my bad takes? Follow me. On <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, all right, man. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for being here, and you know, really enjoyed the conversation. No, I appreciate it. Same here, man. Nice connect. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Take care. All right, that's it for this episode of Big Brother and the Hodling Company. I'm your host, McKeegan Voice, and you can keep up with me and all the latest Web3 music trends on Twitter at McKeegan. That's M-A-C-E-A-G-O-N. This show is a production of Decentral Media, and you can visit us at decentral.io, and remember, only you can prevent and fend off Big Brother. <laughs>